Today on Understanding Immigration, President Biden's first week. He's not addressing his EOs on COVID. He's not addressing the EOs on the economy. It's mainly these radical fringe immigration proposals to appeal to a very small group of his party. And again, this is the biggest issue with executive orders is that they're all inherently temporary. And all it takes is for President Biden to sign an executive order. Uh, and as long as his team followed the Administrative Procedure Act, you know, they're good to go. If you look at the number of applications versus the number of approvals, the Obama administration rubber stamped more than 99% of the applicants and did very little vetting on them, just essentially tried to approve everyone that came through. Coming to you from Washington, D.C., you are now listening to FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. This is Preston Hennekins with FAIR's lobbying team, and I'm joined as always by Matthew Tregesser from our media shop and Spencer Rayleigh, our research director. Today, we're going to discuss the rapid changes to immigration policy made during President Joe Biden's first week in office and broadly discuss what immigration reform looks like during the first 100 days of this new presidency. Now, normally at this point in the podcast, uh, we would discuss some sort of recent news that happened in the immigration sphere. On today's episode, we're not going to do that. Uh, Instead, we're just going to dive right into the topic at hand, which is Biden's first week in office. We've got plenty to talk about. And I know that we are excited to discuss everything that's happened since January 20th. So, you know, after 33 years of trying, Joe Biden has finally achieved his childhood dream of becoming president of the United States. Uh, But a lot has changed since 1988 when he first ran for president and today. Yet immigration remains an issue that no president has been able to solve. Instead, most of the time, presidents simply make the issue more complicated and leave a greater mess than they found. On Biden's first day in office, just hours after Chief Justice John Roberts administered the oath of office, the new president issued six executive actions addressing immigration and two additional agency directives that went out as well. So, Matthew, I want to start with you. Could you start off by addressing the first three of these executive actions? Right. So the first order deals with the census apportionment and illegal aliens. And so President Trump issued an executive order to try and exclude illegal aliens from the 2020 census count for the purpose of congressional apportionment and federal funding. And this was a crucial step to ensure that states like New York and California, who have largely illegal alien populations, do not take congressional representation and federal funding from states that have uh, smaller illegal alien populations. And let's not forget, congressional apportionment is a zero-sum affair. So the gain of one seat by a state necessitates the loss of a seat in another state. And the same goes with federal funding. You know, more federal funding will go to states that have larger populations and doesn't really take into account if someone is here illegally or illegally uh, in their state. Now, with this new executive order that Biden has just put in place, sanctuary states like New York and California and Oregon can now grow their congressional representation due to their already existing illegal alien populations. And this is really going to hurt states that, you know, adhere to our federal immigration laws or federal laws. And it's just not fair. You know, these states that uh, have more American citizens in them should be granted more uh, political representation and federal funding. So it's just disappointing to see this from President Biden. Um, and it's, it really signals that he is wanting to side with legal aliens more so than American citizens. The second order deals with the national emergency at our southern border. Uh, President Trump declared a national emergency at our southern border when the southern border saw record numbers of migrants coming. And this was in about 2019. And this order, the emergency declaration, helped construct 
more than 450 miles of border wall. And this was really helpful because Congress was stymieing the Trump administration. They weren't really providing enough funds. And this order allowed the administration to move resources from other departments and it really helped construct the 450 miles of border wall. And, you know, it, it's very odd that Biden wants to end this declaration for a few reasons. One, uh, he supported the Secure Fence Act of 2006 while he was a senator. And this act added uh, several hundred miles of border wall on the U.S.-Mexico border. You know, we're also facing a borderline uh, border crisis already. You know, we have illegal alien apprehensions soaring in the past year, even though we've had all these COVID restrictions. Uh, they're still soaring. Uh, many caravans are forming right now because of the immigration promises his administration, the Biden administration, have already uh, indicated to the media and, and to the press. And also the other problem with this order is that a president can't unilaterally tell Congress to stop a project that already has funds earmarked or appropriated to it. So right now, Congress has already, uh, or the, or rather the border wall has already 300 miles of earmarked money to build 300 more miles of this wall. And if you don't take that money to build the 300 miles of border wall, not only are you wasting taxpayer money, but you're also jeopardizing our national security. This, this wall needs to be, continue to be built. And it's just a great mistake by the Biden administration. And then the last order I'll talk about is the uh, DED for Liberians. And so this is a smaller order, but it does have some large implications with it. So DED stands for Deferred Enforced Departure. It's a form of deportation relief uh, for select individuals from designated countries. And usually this happens when in a select country there is a major conflict like a civil war or a natural disaster like a hurricane. And then the United States offers this humanitarian protection. So uh, these individuals can stay in the U.S. until the conditions in their country return back to normal. Now, the problem is this program is never uh, temporary, which is what the point of the program is. You know, it's it's for the, the conditions and the home country to improve. And then the foreign nationals return back to their country. Well, unfortunately, this isn't happening. It just keeps getting renewed, renewed and renewed. And, you know, uh, for instance, Liberia got this DED designation in 2007 under President Bush. And now we're here 14 years later and it's still being renewed. And so, you know, you got to ask, at what point is Liberia going to be seen as a safe country to return to for Liberians in the United States? And I don't think many people can answer that question. Uh, so right now, only Liberia and Venezuela have this uh, designation. A few thousand people are impacted by this. But it just shows how the Biden administration views DED. It's, they don't view it as temporary. They view it as permanent. Yeah, thanks, Matthew. And yes, yeah, as, as uh, surprising as it may sound, that's not everything he did when he first took office. There's still a number of more executive orders that he put in place, and there are more coming as we understand it. So the first one I want to touch on uh, regards DACA, or the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, which of course was uh, put in place by former President Obama in 2012, quite possibly illegally by his own admission when he said that, you know, such such orders have to go through Congress. You know, a president can't just unilaterally legislate a program like that into existence. However, this program, which was designed to provide certain illegal aliens who arrived in the country before the age of 16, temporary, it's an important note on it, renewable protection from deportation was eventually attempted, President Trump attempted to cancel it. And of course that got tied up in court, reinstated. He tried to 
used as a bargaining chip for for other legislation. That never happened. And now one of President Biden's executive orders is designed simply to state that his administration is going to carry on the program. Uh, In fact, the name of the executive order is Preserving and Fortifying Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Very clear, very short and to the point. And states that the Department of Homeland Security Secretary will take all actions that he deems appropriate, consistent, and applicable to law to preserve and fortify DACA. Now, of course, there have been, what, uh, more than 600,000 DACA recipients so far. There are quite a few more that could apply, that qualify. But I think it's important to understand the impacts that DACA has on the United States. You know, it's often... uh, presented as a program that protects those who, uh, you know, young children who came here by no fault of their own, when in reality, the overwhelming majority of DACA recipients are now in their 20s and 30s. They're often presented as, you know, these genius white lab coat individuals who are defeating the coronavirus and are essential to our economy. But again, that's, that's not the case either. Less than half of DACA recipients have a high school education and many don't speak English at all. And alarmingly, a number of studies have come out recently showing that many DACA recipients are criminals. At the, you know, of those who were approved for DACA status, more than 80,000 had previous arrest records and 16,000 have been arrested since receiving their status. So this isn't uh, a program defending those who you know, the media portray them to be, being, you know, only well-behaved geniuses that have every right to stay in the United States. Uh, in fact, quite often, it's 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 on the contrary. Another thing that's uh, important to note with the DACA program is that it's, the requirements are very loosely enforced. For example, if, if, if you apply for DACA as an adult, you know, as someone who came to the United States as a child, you're supposed to have shown that you've completed high school or that you served in the military. However, the Obama administration essentially always waived that requirement. And that's why you end up with a large portion of the population unable to speak English, uh, having no high school degree, and only only a very, very small percentage, less than 1%, actually served in the U.S. military. In fact, if you look at the number of applications versus the number of, of approvals, the Obama administration rubber-stamped more than 99% of the applicants and did very little vetting on them, just essentially tried to approve everyone that came through. And because of that, you know, these requirements were often waived. And thousands of DACA recipients have had their status revoked due to criminal activity or violating other laws or lying on the application was discovered later uh, as a result. So it's important to realize that DACA isn't necessarily the program that the media portrays it to be. So assuming, uh, I think we can safely assume, and uh, Biden has said as much, is that he intends to return to how the Obama administration administered this program it's safe to assume that we're going to go back to rubber stamping uh, any new applicants, that it's likely that the program is going to be expanded, and that there's a very real possibility that we will be protecting criminals from deportation. And that is should be concerning to all American citizens. If nothing else, this is a program that's in desperate need of you know, reform 
and oversight. And at this point, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. The second executive order uh, that I want to cover is where President Biden revoked the Trump travel ban that was enacted against countries, uh, against seven countries that were known as hotspots for terrorist activity and where the United States had a difficult time vetting visitors, migrants, uh, and you know others who have obtained visas. And of course, <laughs> despite inaccurately being labeled as an anti-Muslim Muslim ban, the, the list on this country's covered only a minute number of the Muslim-majority countries in the world. And believe it or not, it was originally created by the Obama administration as a list of countries that are prone to terror and that needed additional vetting. And you know, since the order uh, was created by President Trump in January of 2017, it was expanded to cover other countries such as North Korea, Venezuela, or Chad. And it was, it was a heavily supported move as well. In fact, a political poll showed soon after its inaction that uh, more than 60% of Americans fully supported the move and less than 30% fully opposed it. So the vast majority of Americans understood why this was put in place and they supported it. It was very important to preserving national security simply because we can't vet potential migrants from countries with non-functioning terrorist infiltrated or communist run regimes. So if we can't vet someone who's coming from a place that is full of enemies of the United States, it makes sense that we would need to pause that program until we could get to a point that we could be assured that those that are coming to the United States aren't trying to you know, harm our country or the, you know, the, the Americans in this country. And in the executive order that uh, President Biden issued on this, he, he falsely claimed that the Department of Homeland Security will be able to undertake robust vetting of all new migrants and visitors from these countries. However, in reality, the vetting, or vetting that he's talking about typically does nothing more than just consist of an interview of the applicant and having uh, DHS officials try to determine whether or not they're offering true information or lying. And that's essentially it. Because for many of these migrants, the, the countries are non-functioning or do not cooperate with the United States. So it's not like we can run a background check on someone coming from Syria through you know, a Syrian government criminal you know, check program. That doesn't exist. It's very difficult to even vet social media accounts because oftentimes we either don't have access to those or the applicants don't have them themselves. So it's essentially just an interview and we're trying to decide if, if the applicant is, is lying or not. So someone who has a very good cover story can get into the United States and have ties to terrorist organizations or other organizations that run counter to the interests of the United States. And one more concerning point on this, uh, the, uh, the Obama administration actually tracked the number of domestic terror incidents that occurred from individuals who originally came from these countries. And between 2008 and 2016, there were more than 200 incidents uh, that occurred. And there were thousands more that have either of uh, individuals from these countries that have either been investigated by the FBI or are suspected to have had ties to terrorist organizations just based on their activities since they came to the United States. So revoking this travel ban puts all of that risk back into the American public, and there is really no excuse for it. There is no reason why we need to be bringing in a lot of foreign nationals from these countries right now, other than 
the argument that it's the humanitarian thing to do. And of course, right now, the, our country is not in an economic situation where we can be handing out a lot of humanitarian relief to other countries because we have a lot of work that needs to be done in our country. We have tens of millions of people who are still looking for gainful employment and the focus needs to be made there. So there's really no no excuse to be you know reversing this travel ban other than you know Biden wanting to reverse everything that the you know former president Trump did on immigration. Finally, I want to touch quickly on interior enforcement because President Biden had another executive order revoking uh, Trump's, I guess you could say revoking Trump's reinstatement of the practice or understanding that anyone who violates American immigration law is subject to apprehension and deportation. Of course, in the Obama era, it was largely... Uh, enforcement was largely targeting those who had criminal convictions. In other words, had a offense other than illegally entering the United States. The Obama administration largely didn't even uh, target those who had illegal reentry convictions, which is a criminal offense. And so it's important to understand that going back to this policy is a message to potential illegal aliens that if you can evade border patrol and get into the country, you can stay here. And because of that, it's going to result in more illegal immigration. We're already seeing that. In fact, uh, FAIR just released our latest update of the total number of illegal aliens in the United States. And, and in that report, we discuss how once President Biden became the front runner for the Democratic nomination, once he became the nominee and started making these promises that he would you know, not enforce our immigration laws, they would offer an amnesty. We saw apprehensions go up significantly at the southern border. We saw caravans form. People started coming to the United States, and that's just only increased since he's taken office, since he won the election. So again, all, all we're doing here is sending the message that if you can get in the United States, you're welcome to stay. And unfortunately, it's going to make our the humanitarian crisis on the southern border just that much worse because it creates a lucrative business for human smugglers to try and you know bring more and more people to the United States, often via very dangerous routes through dangerous territories in Central and South America. And it also gives an opportunity for human traffickers to target these caravans and to kind of up their game in, in these situations as well. They often like to embed themselves in these caravans. And again, understanding that they can get into the United States there's going to be very little enforcement mechanism in place to search them down and apprehend them. So those are just a few more of the, you know, the executive orders that President Biden created here uh, on his first couple of days in office that were related to essentially dismantling immigration enforcement in the United States. Yeah, and he's he's actually gone even further, or, uh, you know, at least some of the agencies underneath the White House have, you know, with the, with the stroke of a pen, uh, President Biden from behind the Resolute Desk is able to end many of, you know, President Trump's achievements uh, on immigration um, achievements in the sense, you know, that they were executive orders. Um, and again, this is the biggest issue with executive orders is that they're all inherently temporary. And all it takes is, you know, for President Biden to sign an executive order, uh, and as long as his team followed the Administrative Procedure Act, you know they're good to go. Um, but 
the you know the, the 180 degree turn on immigration, like I was saying before, it goes beyond the Oval Office, and and Biden is also tasked you know the departments and the agencies of the federal bureaucracy to follow through on his immigration agenda, and and you know jumping off of what Spencer was saying. DHS, they just issued a 100-day moratorium on removals, um, which is is completely insane. This is something that Biden had promised when he was running for office. Um, and while it's not an executive order, the acting head of, of DHS, uh, David Pekoski, issued a memo that ends nearly all removals for 100 days, all deportations for 100 days. And alarmingly, this includes all illegal aliens that have criminal records, meaning that President Biden is actually preventing the deportation of illegal alien felons that are in custody for certain felonies. Um, and it's unclear you know, what positive impacts that this has on the U.S. Uh, and why the Biden administration is going out of its way you know, to, to prevent these removals, particularly people that have already been found by an immigration judge to be removable from the U.S. You know, it's not like they're picking people up off the street and just immediately putting them on a plane. You know, these people have had, you know, due process in court. They've, they've gone before an immigration judge, you know, often many times. And if the immigration judge has found them removable, then we shouldn't waste any time getting them back to their home countries. Um, but fortunately, um, there was a U.S. district judge named Drew Tipton um, who just temporarily halted the deportation freeze and ruled in favor of the state of Texas uh, which had sued to prevent the freeze from occurring. Um, and actually, in their story about this, AP News had a really interesting quote, and I'm, I'm quoting from that story right now. The ruling also showed that just as Democratic-led states and immigration groups fought former President Donald Trump over immigration in court, uh, often successfully, so too will Republicans with Biden in office. Um, so this is just the first of what could be um, many court challenges to to what Biden is doing at the executive level. Um, and then uh, another thing that happened at the department level is that they paused accepting new people into the Migrant Protection Protocols Program, which our listeners at home probably know as the Remain in Mexico program. And, and without getting too into the weeds, what this was uh, is that this pretty much people who were applying for asylum had to wait in Mexico while their asylum claims were going through court in the United States. Uh, and this prevented uh, people from just applying for asylum and then disappearing into the interior of the country and never showing up for their court case. So it took away that incentive to apply for asylum. And it allowed those people who do have strong claims to quickly adjudicate them through the court system, and then they can come into the U.S., you know, once they've finally gotten asylum. And so uh, I wanted to now kind of open this up to you guys. Um, for our listeners at home, you're going to be hearing this after this has already occurred. But on on Friday, the 29th, uh, Joe Biden is widely expected to uh, issue another round of immigration executive orders. And you know, we've seen a lot of these kicked around, what these are going to be. They've leaked to reporters at the Wall Street Journal that they're going to roll back the public charge rule. They're going to um, freeze the asylum agreements with the Northern Triangle countries related to asylum. They might even completely stop the Remain in Mexico program. So not just pause it, they're going to actually rescind that memo. Um, so I wanted to open this up to you guys, you know, 
we've already had round one of the executive orders that we've talked about. How much worse is round two going to be if, if in fact, this reporting from the Wall Street Journal is correct? Well, just jumping on the uh, the you know the public charge issue, for example. Again, this is one of those executive orders that, in my mind, doesn't make a lot of sense because from essentially the founding of our country, there was an understanding, there was you know legal framework in place to try and ensure that anyone who comes to the United States has the ability to take care of themselves, to provide for themselves here in the country. You know, it doesn't make any sense to invite individuals in the United States other than perhaps for some humanitarian reasons. And we have those programs, you know, the refugee program, the asylum program, those those avenues. But just for other immigration programs, it doesn't make any sense to invite individuals to come to the United States and potentially immediately need to jump onto some sort of welfare program or receive some kind of you know assistance from the federal government in order to survive in the United States. And so, you know, real briefly, essentially all the public charge rule does is it requires that an individual provide some sort of proof that they can provide for themselves or that they have someone who is willing to back them up and provide for them should, you know, they not meet the necessary requirements. And this is a significant issue because the public charge rule has very rarely been enforced and what president trump uh did with his you know his um policy changes in in 2018 2019 was firm up some of those rules and essentially direct that the federal government begin to enforce them and of course that was held up in court until the near the end of his presidency but the reason this was such an issue and and president trump needed to address it was because large numbers of migrants right now end up on U.S. welfare rolls. And the rate is much higher than those for U.S. citizens. And a big reason for that is because most migrants come to the United States now through chain migration. They have family members here who can sponsor them to come to the United States. So they're not qualifying for, you know, through some kind of work program or education or another avenue that would look solely at their merit. Instead, they're coming to the United States because they have family here. And because of that, you end up with a lot of people who do not have necessarily the financial stability that's necessary in order to subside in the United States and to live here. And all public charge does is it makes that a necessary requirement in order to come to the United States. And it's one that makes sense. However, it's expected that the Biden administration is going to roll that back in, in, to a large degree and make the enforcement of public charge a non-priority for the federal government. Right. And to go after the public charge order, too, you know, this is the worst time to place this order. I mean, our economy is already weakened. Uh, we have tens of millions of Americans who are unemployed, who are seeking financial relief, COVID-19 relief, um, you know, accessing unemployment and other welfare programs. And these should be going to people that are U.S. citizens that are here already. This should not be going to people that we have complete control to screen and determine if they're going to be a, a public charge or, um, you know, requiring federal assistance from our government. And so, you know, I, I think, especially now given the circumstances where we don't really have a lot of resources to spare, um, you know, this is not the time to be doing this right now. And 
you know, I, I want to mention a survey I found. Um, it's called the Survey of Income and Program Participation, SIPP. And they determined that for Medicaid alone, that nearly 80,000 new immigrants enroll in this program each year. And so this study is a few years old, but I can only assume that this has climbed as we've had more immigrants come to our country uh, since then. And, you know, the Biden administration only wants to increase these numbers. And so, you know, I think that's a, a legitimate question to ask is, you know, if someone's going to immigrate here, are they going to be a public charge? Are they going to be requiring uh, assistance, welfare assistance from our government? And, you know, maybe that's the case, but then, you know, do they have a relative who can help them out if they don't have enough funds to uh, be sustainable in our country. And so, yeah, this is a, a bad move all around, uh, especially given our circumstances. And, you know, aside from this public charge order, I want to talk about briefly the migration packs. If those get unraveled with the Northern Triangle countries, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, I mean, this is going to lead to another border crisis. I mean, it, it's clear enough what these packs can do. You know, they help curb asylum abuse and they really kind of control and deter illegal immigration. And, you know, at a time where there's a global pandemic right now, the Biden administration should not be unraveling these orders that secure our borders and that restore integrity in our asylum system. And, you know, this is another mistake. You know, it, it's like they're setting themselves up for immediate failure. You know, this is, they just entered office. They have a, a crumbling economy. They have the COVID-19 pandemic to take care of. And now, you know, they're probably going to be plagued with a, uh, border crisis. And it, this is completely preventable. You know, there are other mechanisms in place for to encourage asylum, to encourage or applying for asylum, encouraging refugees to come here. Uh, but this is just not doing it in the correct way to unravel these agreements. And, and one more thing I want to add to this is President Biden is promising a massive amnesty. And so like we've already like you've already touched on, Matthew, you know, we, we've we've got a severe unemployment crisis in the United States right now. So a lot of our welfare programs are already being taxed significantly. But also you have you know more than 14 million illegal aliens that are looking at soon gaining lawful status and eventually citizenship quite possibly. Uh, if that happens, you know we, we have studies here at FAIR that show illegal aliens on average make barely $30,000 per household. That qualifies for essentially every federal program in the books and most state programs. So if that happens, you're going to see an already overtaxed, you know, welfare program just be under that much more stress. So you you include that, then you pile on rolling back the public charge rule and you're going to see that the fiscal cost of this to taxpayers is going to be massive, unlike anything we've ever seen before. And to to jump back to uh Matthew, what you were talking about with the asylum agreements, I mean, it really, you know, it makes no sense to rescind them without any other kind of plan in place. You know, these, you know, whether you agree with them or not, you know, they worked in terms of they largely were able to stop the flow of asylum seeking migrants after the summer of 2019. And, you know, if you take that away, without changing anything, any of the underlying conditions. You know, we we haven't turned off the jobs magnet. We haven't, you know, especially now with what's going on at the executive level, you know, we certainly have not gotten rid of catch and release. I mean, all of these issues that were 
that were creating this crisis in the sum in the spring and summer of 2019 are still there. The only thing that has prevented it from happening again, uh, one is the, is coronavirus, is you know COVID 19 and some of those border restrictions, but also it was that we we were able to put in place these mechanisms with the agreements with the Northern Triangle countries with uh, Remain in Mexico program with some of the assistance that we were giving Mexico for their southern border. Um, if you take all of that away, you know, there's nothing there's nothing stopping you from, uh, you know, creating another crisis. And, you know, I, I think it's so important to, to emphasize that I think this is a mistake from even from, you know, Biden's perspective of, yes, you know, they want to help these asylum seeking aliens to help these other people. But I think it's a mistake to not have something else in place and to just get rid of this. And I think it's going to create a real headache for them in the future when they're juggling all of these competing crises. And then this one gets added onto it where they have to address a huge surge at the border. And there's over 100,000 people being apprehended by Border Patrol every month on top of COVID, on top of the economy, on top of issues with foreign affairs and, and, and global politics. And so I think um, this is just a kind of a real mistake just from a policy angle on their point. And, and I really can't emphasize that enough. No, I, I think it's a com- uh, complete colossal disaster. I mean, not only with the day one initiatives, but also the ones we're expecting on Friday. I, it, it's like he's almost a, that Biden is just appealing to this radical fringe group of his party of these open borders people. Uh, he's taking into account special interests, not the national interest. I mean, we're in a global pandemic Okay, we have one of the the highest COVID-19 rates out of any other country in the world. And, you know, he's not addressing his EOs on COVID. He's not addressing the EOs on the economy. It's mainly these radical fringe immigration proposals to appeal to a very small group of his party. And it's really like, it's unimaginable. I I just, it's beyond me how, what's happening right now. Yeah, it's, um, you know, we... We knew this was going to happen. You know, he he didn't hide during the campaign and and pretend like he was going to do anything different than what he's doing right now. But, you know, elections have consequences and the the consequence of the 2020 presidential election and then the, you know, the subsequent elections in the in the House and the Senate shows that they are they're going to try to push this through not only at the at the executive level, but, you know, Biden has promised that they're going to introduce, you know, some, some pretty big legislation. And of course, that's going to be an episode on this podcast in the future. But just for our listeners out there to remember, you know, this uh, this is largely going to be um, the next four years is a lot of a lot more of these policies. It's going to be very different um, than what we had in the past four years under President Trump um, and a very different vision for what immigration reform looks like between these two administrations. And uh, on that note, we'll wrap up because that's about all the time that we have for today. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and learned about some of the early actions that President Biden has uh, taken to reshape immigration uh, and his image. And as a reminder, we'll be releasing a new episode every other Monday. Our episodes are available on most platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can visit our website, fairus.org, and our Twitter handle, at fairimmigration, to access these episodes as well. So please spread the word and share this podcast with people you think might be interested in learning more about immigration and its impact on the United States. And until next time, this has been Understanding Immigration presented by FAIR.